Hey guys, what's up? It is week 224. Let's hop right into these reviews. The first one up is Brotherhood of Satan from Arrow Video. Um, this one, I believe, is a 1971 picture, actually produced by LQ Jones, which I find is uh, pretty cool. And it stars LQ Jones, Strother Martin, which are a duo that I know, obviously, from The Wild Bunch, one of my favorites, and they're also in the cable, uh, Ballad of Cable Hogue. But they would pop up in some other horror movies. LQ Jones was in The Beast Within, Strother Martin was in and um, Nightwing, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. They're in, they're just a, a pair of character actors that are pretty recognizable, pretty great. A lot of westerns, a lot of kind of uh, horror movies later on in their career. So Brotherhood of Satan, this is a 1971 picture. Uh, kind of interesting. I've been going through all the 1970 movies and, oh man, what was the movie this was paired up with? I want to say um, there was a double feature I saw, this and Fragment of Fear, which I'm covering this week too, which I got a kick out of uh, because I'm covering it both in the same week and they both played a double feature together at one point so the brotherhood of satan it follows the story of this uh this uh husband and wife and their kid and they're driving through this small town and they get through and um they, they find a body on the side of the road, looks like a car accident or some sort, and it appears like the child was kidnapped from the accident, and it just seems really, really not right. So they go right to the sheriff's office, the the deputy won't answer the door, all the townsfolk are kind of peering through the windows, curious who they are, wondering why they're there. All of a sudden, LQ Joins pulls up, he's a sheriff, he immediately pulls his gun on the the, um, the couple and, and starts badgering him with questions, come to find out that nobody's been able to get in or out of this town uh, for days, and there's the only ones that manage to so they're very very curious who they are it turns out that there is some sort of weird uh, cult with running this town pulling the strings and they're kind of collecting the children and using them for some kind of crazy ceremony and I will get into kind of spoilers just because I find it very interesting how this stuff was kind of used um, and, and like we got cults are very popular in, in this kind of time later we'd have the devil's reign with the Satanists and everything like that um, but it, it does share a lot of similarities to stuff like um, um, get Out or the uh, Skeleton uh, Key and even um, the remake of Suspiria where these oh, these Satanists are actually trying to relive their lives and put their bodies within the children. That's why they need them. But uh, there is some twists and turns in here and we find out who uh, leads this uh, group of Satanists and it's quite fantastic. And normally I wouldn't spoil stuff like this but it gives me a chance to talk about Strother Martin as a Satanist and I feel like that's just wonderful because if anybody knows his voice it's one of a kind and he says yes but I can't do a Strother Mountain unless I'm just doing a wild bunch impersonation and I kind of start with that and then move into it but he just has these long lines of dialogue that are absolutely insane and just he embraces it and it's pretty great LQ's always good he's always solid um, and, and the supporting cast besides that is also decent um, the movie isn't super graphic but it has these touches of really great moments and, and they point this out in the special features too but you'd be blind not to notice that there's a couple really wonderful moments um, there's this doll uh, where they come to investigate and a couple people have died there and there's a doll sitting on the couch the little girl's doll was kidnapped and just a single tear falls out of its eye and you're just like oh shit man that's a, that's a nice little touch there um, creepy Satan Satanist stuff and um, they have like a makeshift morgue where everybody's wrapped in plastic laying on ice slabs and I'm like that's just the stuff of nightmares especially for 1971 you think this is before Texas Chainsaw Massacre this is before Last House on the Left that, that imagery right there it just is a uh, the stuff of nightmares to be honest and and it's really effective um the score was also solid um i like the location i like the isolation at times it do 
does feel a little dull, a little slow in places, but um, it, it's a dark movie. It's 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 actually looks really good, and um, I, I think it's a, a fairly effective and well worth your time to check this one out. This was a first time watch for me. Uh, as far as the special features are concerned, there's a brand new audio commentary with writers Kim Newman and Sean Hogan, and they seem to be fairly big fans in the movie. Um, they talk quite a bit about those, uh, especially those those standout scenes and everything like that. Satanic Panic: How the 70, 1970s Conjured the Brotherhood of Satan. A brand new visual essay by David Flint. Um, that was pretty good, if I remember correctly. Sometimes I, I watched uh, a lot of these in the beginning of the week, so it's been like a full, almost a full week when I get to them. But I remember them kind of breaking down a little bit of the satan satanic movies and everything like that. And, and the early satanic stuff was really fun. Um, satanic Panic. Um, okay, so the child, Children of Satan, exclusive new interviews with actor Jonathan Erickson Esley and Allison Moore. And I think they actually play the children in this, so that's also nice to see. And original trailers, TV, and radio spots, image gallery, and then we kind of have all that. But look, right, the cover art spoils it. If anybody doesn't know that Stroller Martin, then you're, you're nuts. But yeah, a dark ending. Kind of like, you're like, that's what we're doing here. And it leaves you in a, in a dark place. Like, what would you do? I know what I'd do. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know. I don't know. But Brotherhood of Satan, uh, check it out. Good stuff. Okay, this next one from Arrow Video is Blind Beast. And I had heard so much about this film. This is from the works of uh, uh, Rampo. No, I always say this guy's name wrong. Uh, Rampo. Um, uh, Ido Rampo. Um, Whores of Malfour Men, which is a crazy movie. And he also had one that was kind of a, a take, an anthology on his stories from 2005. Uh, Rampo Noir, was it called? And that was pretty cool. Hisiyashu uh, Sato was one of the directors of that um and uh, uh what was the guy's name from uh geez he's just been in the new mortal Kombat movie he was in one of the shorts so he, he's a really iconic uh, japanese writer he's very popular he writes uh, a lot of kind of crazy stuff like bondage and stuff in there real really transgressive and especially the movies being made in the late 60s and early 70s and this is blind beast this is one of them this is directed by the guy who did irizumi i will not make that same mistake again i think i uh thought uh yeah what was the other big or urshi or ishi directed it i, I this is about the guy who did Irizumi, which is also a really cool movie. But this is a really great film with lots of wonderful visuals. So uh, what we have here is we have this uh, kind of this model, and it, she does a lot of risky stuff. Uh, she'll be chained, uh, tied up, and these nude photos. And um, she has uh, she's become kind of like this. Um, I don't want to say like. Maybe like a poster girl for a lot of young Japanese boys. They they are obviously infatuated, kind of like a Playboy model type deal. And she has this kind of display, uh, art display, and there's a sculpture in the middle of the room of her. And she notices when she goes to check out after closing and looks through, there's this there's this guy, um, and he's just uh, feeling the sculpture very intimately and and holding it and grasping it. And she's just very confused and, and somewhat bothered by it, but also somewhat excited by it. So we have a lot of these ideas right off the bat that are kind of you know different and. <laughs> maybe thought-provoking. So she uh, calls a masseuse that night and who shows up but the guy who is fondling the sculpture. At first she doesn't realize, but then she notices this guy is blind. He is the blind beast. He starts to massage her and go through everything and then it, it gets real creepy really fast. He tells her, you have such a wonderfully beautiful body. It's amazing. It's the perfect body and I, I've been searching and you're, you'd be perfect for my art. And before long, he ends up kidnapping her. Um, and she wakes up and she is in this this surreal landscape of hell where it's a focus on all women's body parts where there's sculptures. There's a whole wall of breast. There's two big bodies right in the middle, one of, one of uh, you know, buttocks and one of, you know, the front, uh, the vaginal area. And then we have eyes and noses and mouths all around everywhere and he can't feel. 
I mean, he can't see, he can just feel. So like he made these all by feeling and he wants to make the perfect sculpture of her. Um, the guy's mother is also there helping him and, and he had gotten some money from the passing of his father. So it complicates things. And, and pretty soon she realizes she's not going to get out of here without manipulating the situation. And of course, tragedy strikes. And then you're like, okay, I expected all of that to go here, but then it kind of goes into the next level of craziness. And we start to have these psychological games of maybe Stockholm syndrome and, and surreal stuff. And, um, torture and bondage and and depravity and it's a really good movie and it's not as graphic as i'm explaining it it's more of a mental kind of thing here and, and through narration but it's a really effective movie and and really kind of uh you know thought-provoking and mind-bending and just excellent stuff and the imagery is top-notch and and it works really well i find for 1969 this is such ahead of its time and such a um you know pushing the buttons and everything like that a lot of the asian cinema always did that and this is one for sure um as far as the special features are uh, concern. We have a brand new audio commentary by Asian cinema scholar Errol Jackson. Newly filmed introduction by Japanese cinema expert Tony Reigns. And he, he's in a bunch of these stuff. So I've, I've seen him a bunch of times. It's like 18 minutes long. Uh, Blind Beast. Uh, Mazamora, the super sensual... <laughs> super sensual... Oh, jeez. Super sensualist. Super sensual. Sorry about that. A brand new visual essay by Seth Jacobwitz. Sometimes like I, I should pre-read because you guys know, obviously... Um, when you don't keep up on your reading like you did in school, when you see some words that you're not too familiar with, you sound like a moron. And, and keep reading, guys. It'll benefit you. I need to keep reading. So, yeah, anyways, I thought this was top-notch stuff, um, and I was re really like this. Um, and, and I would check this out. This might be the best uh, the best Rampo one I've seen so far. Um, I know that... Um, uh, Errol's put out some of his stuff, um, some of the stuff inspired by his works, and he still continues to inspire a lot of stuff. And there was like, a, is this, a, there was a semi-sequel made, if I'm not mistaken, Blind Beast for Killer Dorf. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but this movie also reminded me like it inspired stuff like We Are the Flesh, which takes place of three people kind of trapped in this weird uh, paper mache cave that they made and a lot of sexual exploits and stuff. I feel like We Are the Flesh is definitely wouldn't be around if it weren't for Blind Beast. But Blind Beast, great stuff, really recommend. Okay, this next one is a Giallo from 1974, and it is directed by Tassari, who did Death Occurred Last Night, which I covered, and the Pistol for Ringo movies, The Return of Ringo, and this is a Puzzle, if I didn't say the name already, and this stars Luke Miranda, it has a couple other familiar faces in here, I, I, I don't want to make a mistake, I, I know that there's somebody else in here that, Anita Stringberg, but it's a very tiny role, and, and that's kind of stands out a little bit, because she's one of these bigger kind of Giallo actresses that you'd expect to be in the movie more, but Luke Miranda, I recognize from Violent Professionals, the Sergio Martino movie, but he was kind of a French heartthrob that ended up in a lot of, you know, Euro films and everything like that. So Puzzle, this is kind of a strange film, uh, very Hitchcockian, I would say, and a lot of Gialli kind of style movies are basically, you know, Hitchcockian inspired, you know, every film that has any thriller or criminal aspect is Hitchcockian inspired, let's be honest. So basically we have this opening where the uh, Luke Miranda is talking to this woman and he doesn't remember he has amnesia and <laughs> amnesia is such a funny plot point in movies it's just like i don't know how i don't think anybody knows how amnesia actually fucking works let's be honest but um so they have this he has amnesia and she's explaining you got to go back and, and talk to your wife and figure this out and he's kind of sent on a mission you get this kind of a criminal aspect possibly he ends up going back and get contacts his wife who seems to be in kind of like a, a loose relationship or maybe a, a light a soft relationship with this other guy um, who's always visiting the house and she goes back and, and their relationship 
um, the, between the husband and wife are really unstable because he's been in a country for like a year and he hasn't contacted her, but he's lost his memory. So like it's really kind of a shaky relationship at first and they start to patch things together. But pretty soon he realizes that he was supposed to remember something where there's some hidden money and he can't remember. And you don't know if he's if he's playing, uh, you know, coy or not. And there's guys after him. And right away, right even before he leaves Europe, there's a murder. Um, somebody just killed somebody else. But pretty soon, soon enough, he realizes that there's guys after him and he's got to figure out who his partners were and kind of stop them and figure out where the money is. And his his wife is getting involved. And there's a really good twist in here with a with a cast, which I liked. And there's a, a young boy that's uh, entered into the film and. He's like a, a, a amateur photographer, constantly taking pictures of the woman, uh, the, the the wife, and that plays into one of the good reveals of the movie. And there's a fucking chainsaw set piece, which is set up so easily, where it's set on the counter, and you're like, "Why is that chainsaw there?" You know something's gonna happen with the freaking chainsaw. Anyways, I, I think it works really well with the chainsaw. It makes me laugh, but it's also awesome. Um, decent, decent thriller. Um, solid. Um, Luke Miranda is a guy that I don't absolutely love. You know, like a, a Franco Nero. I'm like, yeah, let's get Franco Nero in there or something else. He's just, uh, it's not, a, I'm not as familiar with him. So it's not a, like an attachment or something like that. Um, like a, a Gene Surreal or Sorrel, however the hell you say his name. He's another French guy that I've seen a couple more times and I feel like I connect a little bit better with him. I think he's maybe just a little bit more uh, uh, an actor that I, I appreciate. But um, this this one's a decent thriller and, and uh, VCI, um, it, it doesn't look amazing. It's not like an Arrow release where um, it, it's just super crystal, but it looks solid enough. Um, the highlight here is there's a Cat Ellinger commentary and she talks about um, Tasari and this film and Luke Miranda like him and all that kind of stuff and she does a good job she always does a great job um that helped me appreciate the movie a little bit more but he did um i think three kind of jelly pieces that he also did the bloodstained butterfly which been a long time since i watched it with helmut Berger. death occurred last night and of course this one so i've, I've seen all his kind of jelly oriented movies in a couple of his westerns and he's a solid director for sure i prefer last a uh, death occurred last night i thought that was a really good bleak police procedural jelly style film which i thought was kind of uh surprising and, and a good cast too this this one i think it's, it's well acted and there's some good twists and turns but it, um yeah i didn't it didn't i didn't connect with it as much as death occurred last night okay this next one here is um incident in uh ghostland and this is uh from 2018 this is actually directed by the guy who did martyrs and martyrs is one of these movies that again has has found its time in history like it's just um it's a it's just a movie that is is beloved for good reason martyrs is, is an insane movie um just extreme and different and unique so um i'm curious like i don't know i know he did some other films as well if i'm not what was the other one the tall man he did and i don't think i saw that one but uh so incident in the ghost land i wasn't too sure how i was going to feel about this one starting the film I think Martyrs is a masterpiece. So we kind of start in the very opening. We have a, a mother who um, is constantly every once in a while. She's a, she's a, from France. So she's kind of like going back in the French and her kids are like, hey, go in English, in English, which is a nice little touch. But she has two daughters, um, one of which who seems to be fairly normal into normal stuff and one of which who's more like us. She's in the, the horror and she's obsessed with H.P. Lovecraft, which and she, her, she's constantly writing all these novels and everything like that. And and her sister, um, the normal, more so, normal sister gives her a hard time. They basically inherited a house, which 
which is, is a cliche thing in a horror film, right? That's a thing. We've inherited a house, or we're going to our old, like, a relative's house, and an old distant aunt died, and they've kind of inherited this house. It's kind of isolated, kind of almost like country-esque place. So on the way there, they uh, see this, uh, like, candy ice cream truck and a couple weirdos in there kind of waving to them, and um, one of them, the, the, the normal girl kind of flips her off, flips the truck off, and uh, so, yeah. We get to this house, and this house is just filled with these weird antique toys and dolls and all this really creepy, uncomfortable stuff. Um, so, so pretty soon that night, or within a within a few moments, the the people from that that van they attack, and it's brutal. But the mother fights them off and everything like that. And I don't want to get into details about this, so I'll basically kind of speak of the movie itself before I get into spoilers. Anyways, I thought the movie is really effective, and the twist and turns I think were wonderful. I think how they handled the kind of hallucinating stuff and and the twist were were great. And I did not see it coming. I thought the acting was great. I thought the violence was was uh, brutal and effective, and all around I thought it was a great movie. So. With, I can't really discuss this movie anymore without getting into kind of where it goes and um, that kind of stuff. So um, so the first um, 20, 30 minutes, you think that that event was over and done with, and uh, she has moved on about her life, and she's become this kind of world-renowned writer. She's beloved, and uh, you know she, she's continuing to writing. She's married, um, and she gets a call from her sister in distress, and she's confused, so she goes back to the old house with her mother and everything like that. And pretty soon we think we're going to have your kind of typical haunting where these moments are reoccurring in time and nothing's changed. But um, at a midway point, it just broke my world what happened. Well, her sister starts to kind of seem like she may be affecting her and dragging her into her hallucinations because she's never completely healed from it. But when she breaks through to her, we realize that that those events of that initial attack have never stopped. They're continuing to go on. And she has basically crawled into a shell and hallucinated her future life. So she sees herself in this kind of better place. Um, when she realizes her mom is dead, Ma couldn't fight him off, what was she going to do? Because real in re reality, I mean, one of the killers is a really big kind of mongoloid. Um, she actually, um, the, one of the characters refers to one as a witch and one as an ogre because it has that fantastical element too and that fantastical element which she's constantly thinking of and everything like that. So... It's just uh, a really crazy twist, and it gets really scary. And the killers are really weird and creepy, and they have this weird, elaborate game that you know they have all these crazy rules that are going on. But I thought this was tremendous. I thought it re worked really well. I thought it was a nice surprise, and I didn't expect too much out of it. I was like, "We're going to get your kind of typical movie." But if I should have learned anything from Martyrs, this guy is nothing. He's not typical. This guy, the guy who made Martyrs, is not a typical guy. He makes crazy, different, weird shit, and I really appreciate that. Um, there's an interview with him on the disc, and he spoke so much truth. Um, he he spoke about how horror fans come up to him and say, "Well, I noticed this scene." He's like, "It's in it's in our DNA. Like we don't think about that stuff. It just happens." And I really appreciated seeing that. He was just so much more intelligently spoken about horror films than so many other people. And he, he went at it a different way, which I he was just different. I don't know how to explain that. He saw things a different way, and his films show that. He said, I wanted to push the boundaries. I wanted to go places other people wouldn't. And I didn't want to go to that place where it's just more extreme violence or sex. I wanted to 
be thought-provoking. And for some reason, I don't know how you even do that now in horror. And I guess that's why he's making great films and I'm talking about them. Um, so Martyrs, man. Martyrs goes there and it, and it goes there, right? I'm, I'm sorry, Last House always said that. But it really does. It really just thought-provoking and changes everything. And you think you're there and then it switches every, the movie on its head like three or four times, which makes it great. Um, and this one, it, it does it a couple times and it's fucking great too. Incident in a Ghostland. I think I really like this one quite, quite, quite a lot actually. So, and I think if I revisited it and watched somebody else watch it, I, I think that would be great. Um, and the interaction with Lovecraft is also kind of touching in, in a weird way. So, and he also points out, he's like, well, I couldn't make this a cosmic war in a Lovecraft aspect. It just doesn't work. It had to be set in reality and the character would be fascinated by Lovecraft. And I like that. I like that she has this dual world where her, it's really gritty in, in the real world. And then when she goes to the fantastic world, everything is, is better and different and, and just kind of, um, whimsical so yeah incident in the ghostland great stuff okay for the patreon pick somebody wanted me to do a werner herzog i haven't seen so i pick wayzek um, which stars klaus kinski there's no way this is a, a import set there's no way i was not doing a freaking uh it's 1979 not doing a white uh herzog kinski movie because i've seen a quarry wrath of god i i I love watching Klaus Kinski, even though I know he's just a nutbag and he's, his performances are, are pretty unmatched in insanity and you're scared for him. So Wojciech follows the story of a, a soldier um, during, I believe, World War II. I think he's a Nazi or Nazi-esque soldier. I can't remember. And this was the stage play. And I'm not sure if it was ever completed, written as a stage play, but um, Klaus Kinski is this very nervous gentleman. He's always speed walking and fast. He can't relax. And he's the barber. He kind of shaves people. And in the opening of the film, he is shaving his commanding officer and he's moving. He's sporadically moving. And uh, bravo to this actor, this commanding officer, to let Klaus Kinski get a freaking straight razor to your neck like that. And it, it's a long scene. It lasts a long time. And he's talking to him. He's like, you need to relax. And he's telling him all these things. And it almost seems like they're fucking with him a little bit. And always trying to kind of move him in different directions. And he He's obviously unstable and just all these different pressures and points going to him. Just not good for him. I mean, this guy does not belong in society in a lot of ways. So um, he has this wife and um, it has a really strained relationship with his wife. Um, and she's starting to kind of uh, fawn over the soldier who's interested in her, and it puts a strain between Wojciech and everything, and there's these really kind of crazy moments. Like, not that much seemingly happens in the movie, but when you're watching it, you're never bored. There's lots of good set pieces, like uh, with the dance scene at the very end is tremendous. Um, it's a beautifully shot movie, too, and the location is fantastic. Klaus Kinski's really great in here. The way he walks, the way he moves, the way he looks. Um, I've never quite seen him do something Thing like this. this is a very good performance very unique and different and just uh he's bonkers and scary but um, um there is of course a, um, a graphic murder scene at the end of the movie and it's all leading to that it's one of these movies where you watch this character study and you just know something really bad's gonna happen and you're just kind of waiting for it and, and waiting to see it unfold it, it, you never really knew you just knew you the only question i had was how many is he going to kill <laughs> that's really where I was at and I didn't know if it would be one or a couple or five or six or, or how it would end but I knew it would end badly um, just the, the way the movie unfolds but uh, yeah you see like the, the religious figure and the commanding officer giving him piss poor advice and almost screwing with him and messing with him and getting in his head and all these different ways pulling at him but I, I don't have all that much to say about it except i thought it was really well shot really well made really well acted and tragic tragic movie um bravo to Klaus kinski in this movie um and just he he looks so crazy in here for sure so good stuff 
Okay, we're going to roll until those 1970 movies. Though sometimes beaten back, he came again and again against the enemy. Till at the end he came alone from the bloody field. For he alone could triumph. This was a Dracula deed. In President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion. It lasted for two months. The purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines. At times, that mission was extremely dangerous. Marcus Welby, MD, and the Dick Cavett Show will not be seen tonight, so that we may bring you live cover coverage of the 42nd Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. Headquarters in Washington, I'm Howard K. Smith. I'm Harry Reasoner in New York. These are tonight's headlines. Rail service across the nation is crippled by the continuing strike of the Railway Clerks Union. President Nixon meets with newsmen in his first nationally televised news conference since late July. Defense Council says that Lieutenant Calley had orders from higher up to kill every living thing. He lied. And Secretary of State Rogers pledges that American troops will not be sent back into Cambodia. Howard? Reports tonight on the rail strike from Gregory's... And after she let the devil fornicate with her, making the men impotent. Okay, this first one up is from the Umberto Lenzi Baker set from Severn Films. And this is A Quiet Place to Kill, a.k.a. Paranoid or Paranoid. I think it is a.k.a. Paranoid. And um, they do talk about that. Sam Deacon does talk about the a.k.a. names of Umberto Lenzi on the commentary. <laughs> There's a lot of complicated, weird stuff going on there. Um, uh, it just gets really confusing. So this one stars Gene Searle and, of course, Carol Baker. Uh, yeah, and this is a 1970 flick, of course, like I said, uh, Gialli. Good kind of Hitchcockian film again, uh, kind of a plot device that I love to hear. So uh, Carol Baker is a race car driver, which I love. They made her a race car driver. That's freaking awesome. She's driving cars, speeding, everything like that. That's kind of a big aspect of 70s action movies and a lot of Euro uh, films for sure. There's lots of chases and everything. And people would probably say, um, you know, like... Um, Geez, uh, you know, I wanted to say French Connection, but was this made before French Connection? There's this lot of speed racing. I know that that in that um, action set was it Vengeance? Not Vengeance Trails. Uh, Years of Lead had the the big race car uh, movie in there as well. With jeez, uh, I can't believe I forgot that uh, Maurizio Merli's film and everything like that. So it, it's definitely an aspect of uh, Italian films is that race car nature and everything like that. So and, and Grindhouse and movies in general. So she's a she's a race car driver that's kind of down on her luck for money. Um, one day her boyfriend just makes her upset she, she hightails it out of there steals his car ends up getting a, a letter from her um, ex-husband's new wife that wants her to come hang out and she's like what in the hell this is strange but she still kind of carries a torch for her ex-husband and Jean Searle uh, or yeah I think it's surreal um, from the fox with the velvet tail is the one I remember him from. And she ends up going there um, and meeting them. And it's, it's an awkward situation where there's a lot of high class or rich friends that are hanging around and everything like that. And Gene Surreal is a playboy, man. You can tell he's he's not just a one man, one girl kind of guy. He's sleeping around. He's trying to seduce Carol Baker. And uh, she's kind of playing a game, too, where she's interested. But she's just upset with him. And um, obviously, they've had some problems. There's flashbacks of her trying to kill him and everything like that but uh so, so as it progresses the wife ends up making a um she she goes to carol baker and says listen 
I'm going to pay you a lot of money to kill my husband. And that's kind of what we get at here. Um, and you're just like, oh shit. It's kind of, you know why now she called her and everything. And it gets really interesting here. So um, you really don't know where everybody sits. Um, the, the, the two decide to do something else. And like I, the more I talk about it, the more I spoil. But um, somebody ends up dead, of course. And uh, there's inheritance involved. And a daughter comes into the, the picture. And she's wondering what the hell's going on. She starts to manipulate the situation. And before long, we have a bunch of manipulation and people being brought in to be used and, and everything like that. And you're not sure what how it's going to unfold. And the ending's great. There's a great dummy death. I mean, how could you not? There's some good setups with racing and driving around the corner. And uh, there's a really terrifying, um, you know, bend on a road, which scares the shit out of me. If anybody's ever driven in like Pennsylvania and get to the Pocono Mountains and you're just like, man, why are we going 60? I am like 100 feet up in the air. I could fall off and die any second. So they're just winding around these roads and they're really high and you're like shit and it's a beautiful location too it's wonderful um you know the kind of the rich people and their beautiful pools and beautiful houses and beautiful locations where they live so uh <laughs> but the ending has a great dummy death and a great final uh punch just desserts deal so i thought this was pretty great there's a commentary by sam deegan check this one out one of the better gialli from 1970 i mean it's got bird with the crystal plumage death occurred last night it's got a handful of ones from 1970 that um are pretty good weekend murders could be considered one so um this one definitely sits at the the higher end i would say i think it's probably is the second best I, I think it's a good movie and Lindsay's a great director he's a very capable director some people say journeyman but he always makes a solid picture right no matter what genre even if it's a genre you don't care for i mean if he's got to make a crazy action zombie style movie in nightmare city he does it well if he's got to make a classy gialli style thriller he does it well if he's got to make a cannibal nasty movie uh video nasty type deal in cannibal ferox he does it well. I mean, the guy is a jack of all trades. He's kind of like a Fulci, right? Where Fulci does all these different movies until he found his final niche in the horror films and he just embraced it and made some great horror films. Lindsay, you know, he necessarily didn't find his, his final niche. He kind of just did a slew of different movies. And there's a lot of these Italian directors that are like that. I mean, Martino was like that too. And I know, um, Cat Ellinger and Sam Deacon always complain that people use the term second tier. And I don't mean second tier as an insult at all. I mean, if there was like six or seven that could be at the top, he's one of them for sure to me. But it's just, I always put um, Fulci, Argento, and Bava, Mario Bava as the top three. And then we have like the next set, uh, Martino, Diodato, and Lenzi for me. You know, and then the next three of those guys, for me at least. So it's like the top six would be those guys. I, I think that they're just really great. And there's other ones that are fantastic too. I'm probably missing some of the horror guys, but those are probably my personal favorite Italian horror directors. I mean, I love Joe D'Amato as well. So uh, yeah, um, A Quiet Place to Kill. Not to be confused with A Quiet Place in the Country, which I covered last week. <laughs> I made a mistake. And also not to be confused with An Ideal Place to Kill, which is another Umberto Lenzi flick, which I think is AKA Oasis of Fear, which was released by Mountain of Macabro. You see what I'm getting at here. There's also some confusion when we have all AK names of Paranoid and then he has Orgasmo which is an alternative name and then Spasmo and it's just like, man, who is naming these Lindsay movies and why are you doing this to me? Uh, not to mention that one of his movies is a cannibal movie called Eaten Alive which also there's another a horror film called Eaten Alive by Toby Hooper and for some fucking reason both Eaten Alive's have Mel Ferrer in it which makes me absolutely laugh hysterically that Eaten <laughs> Mel Ferrer isn't both Eaten Alive one by Toby Hooper from 76 and one by Alberto Lenzi from 1980. Will the madness ever end? Okay, so that is enough about Lenzi and his career and A Quiet Place to Kill. Good flick. Check it out.
Okay, the next 1970 flick is How Awful About Alan. And this is a TV movie by Curtis Harrington. Curtis Harrington did a slew of movies like The Killing Kind and Queen of Space. I always mix that up. Queen of Blood with um, John Saxon and Dennis Hopper, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Curtis Harrington did a couple old bitty movies as well. He was kind of a, he's a solid kind of thriller horror director from the 70s. Um, How Awful About Alan stars Anthony Perkins. Obviously, you know, not fresh off his role in Psycho. That's 10 years later, but he kind of plays an unstable guy. Anthony Perkins is a tremendous actor. I'll watch anything with Anthony Perkins in or even his latter films. He's always great. So uh, here's the plot of this one. We have a fire right in the opening. The movie doesn't take any time to get started. And uh, Anthony Perkins' uh, father is killed in the fire. His sister is badly scarred. He is sent to a mental facility because he loses his vision out of stress or guilt and um, he does not sure why. So he has some mental uh, problems. Eventually they release him to go back home. It's kind of like Psycho 2, right? Which was made 1980-81, so 10 years after this one. And uh, they release him and let him go home, and pretty soon there's a new border in the house because him and his sister need to kind of, you know... Um need some money because they're not doing as well anymore. Their father was a beloved, like kind of a intelligent professor, great mind. So, so what ends up happening here is, um, there's the border. He starts to suspect is kind of gaslighting him, making him seem crazy and, and doing all these awful things to him and everything like that. And he sees him out of the glimpse of his eye because his vision's very impaired. And he had an old fiance that starts to help him look into the case. And, and you know, something's up. You're like, is Anthony Perkins crazy? Um, which could very well be the case. Uh, obviously, a nice choice of casting in Anthony Perkins because we already have that association with the Psycho films and other films of Perkins just being a little unstable. Um, and then we have uh, the idea that there's possibly somebody in the house um, that's after him or possibly a family member or somebody who's bitter about the situation is out to get him and mess with him. So you're really not sure of the situation, um, but it's a really well-made thriller. It's really well done. It's well acted and it's short and sweet, straight to the point. I think that this fits... Curtis Harrington's style a little bit better than something like the sci-fi movie he did with, um, like I mentioned earlier, with John Saxon. I thought this was a great little thriller, um, perfect TV movie, and I thought the ending was uh, really, really nice, and just a little stinger at the very end, so how awful about Alan? Good stuff. Okay, this next one here is House of Dark Shadows by Dan Curtis. Dan Curtis is like a TV maestro, right? He, um, I know he had his hand in the Night Stalker, I believe, and uh, he did his version of Dracula, Jack Palance, and just did a bunch of stuff. Uh, Dan Curtis has put his name and hand in a lot of movies, and he directed a lot of the original series of Dark Shadows, which I'm not super familiar with. So I was like, oh, well, I, I don't know how I'm going to take this because I don't know the series, and it's just a long series from the late 60s, mid-60s to, like, the early 70s. It went on forever, 66 to 72, if I'm not mistaken, and there's, like, 500 episodes. I was like, this is no way I'm going to be able to dive into this. There's also another TV movie, Night of Dark Shadows, also put out by Warner Brothers. These are both put out by Warner Brothers Blu-ray, and that came out a year later. So I'm like, House of Dark Shadows, um, I can't leave the Dan Curtis movie unwatched. I can't leave the uh, House of Dark Shadows unwatched for 1970. It's obviously an important piece of this this horror history in 1970. So I put this in, and right away I'm like, there's a lot of characters. They all seem to be kind of semi-established, or it seemed like the audience should know who they are. And John Carlin, right in the beginning, I recognized him from Daughters of Darkness, 1971 film, great horror film. Uh, check that one out by Harry Kummel, if anybody's not seen it. Uh, Blue Underground put a great 4K out. So, um, Right away, uh, he, he's kind of looking around and he's like a, a caretaker of this big kind of estate. And there's a bunch of rich people and stuff. There's a bunch of different houses on the estate and everything like that. And he somehow feels like he's found some treasure or some kind of gold map or something like that. I don't know if that 
is part of the the TV series or not. I'm sorry, I have not seen it. So he ends up kind of being fired because he's drunk, and he ends up following his instincts and the map or whatever. And what what comes to is he finds Barnaby Collins um, in a coffin. He opens it. Barnaby comes out forces him to be his servant and pretty soon uh barnaby collins kind of infiltrates the family hey i'm a distant relative from england which is very funnily the same plot to the andy milligan vampire movie from this year which i cannot think of the title off the top of my head but it's the same plot and i covered that one um geez why can't i remember that movie why am i so old now five ten years five years ago this would not be happening i would remember the plot but now Mr. Parker, he's getting a little stale, but it's basically the Andy Milligan movie. Um, it's right on the tip of my tongue, bloody something, right? Uh, help me out, guys, help me out. I wish this was live. So maybe, no, I don't, no, I don't. Um, but yeah, so anyways, it's the same plot from the Andy Milligan movie uh, where he infiltrates the family and starts, I'm a distant relative, yada, yada. So Barnaby Collins comes in and he says that he starts to kind of feed on the family a little bit until his eye, he catches the fiance of somebody and he's like, in typical vampire fashion, you remind me of a lost love. I must have you at all cost. There's a couple scientists that are involved. They're friends of the family, a professor and the scientist that realizes right away that uh, Barnaby Collins is the vampire that has been striking fear around town and killing people and biting some of the family and causing ailments around the family. But she has a scientific interest in the case where she says, this 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 DNA that I'm finding, I think I can cure it. I think it's a disease. So she kind of takes Barnaby Collins and there's this twist where she tries. Somebody asked about a scientific kind of vampire film so we have one right here um last week i think it was nick mua where we have uh, she starts to do these kind of ideas to try to fix barnaby collins so um he can finally marry the love of his life but the scientist is a little thing for collins so um there's some traitoring stuff going on and there's some crazy effects and anyways this is a really fun effective vampire movie and it's a little bit different yes it's high drama but i i, I really like the way it looked i like the characters i like the acting it was very enjoyable i did it and there's a decent kill count there's like six or seven of the family members that get killed so there's a decent amount of people that get killed and they do that classic scene where so and so asks you to meet him somewhere and you show up and something's just not right and before you know it he's actually been turned into a vampire already ready and he comes after you and that reminds me of fright night too obviously used that later down the line where i I'd probably lifted directly from this which is probably lifted from an early universal horror film if i'm not mistaken but that that idea where it's like hey buddy come out and see me uh we got some stuff to do and then you're like i'm a vampire oh shit no i don't when did he get you and that, that's fright night too that happens and that happens in this one and yeah so anyways uh really fun movie i uh, i really enjoyed it uh just just nice little surprise didn't know what to expect Okay, we have another one from 1970. Might be the last one in the week. Let me see. No, we have a couple more. I don't know what I'm talking about. So we got The Mind of Mr. Sloams. And this isn't really a horror film. It felt horror adjacent and sci-fi aspect. But this one probably can be skipped for anybody that's looking for horror adjacent. It doesn't really fit. Maybe a little bit sci-fi. So this stars Terrence Stamp and Robert Vaughn. Two great actors. Terrence Stamp stared stamp very young and like 32 in this movie so what we have here is a guy who was born um in a coma and he's been kind of kept alive and healthy through all this time um he basically um and uh robert vaughn is a doctor who's figured a way to kind of stimulate that part of his brain that has put him in this coma and wake him up so i mean there's been some comedy movies like this too like encino man or stuff or um blast from the past where there's somebody that is just a complete fish out of their um element you know fish out of water element where they wake up and they're like where am i why I'm not familiar with this stuff. I know that South Park made a comedic episode where there's the guy who's frozen in the block of 
ice. He froze it in like 1996, and they unthaw him now, and they like keep him in a 1996 like room where they're playing like ah, I saw the sign. I know that's a little drifting off, but that's just very funny. So um, he has the mentality of a child. They have to teach him right away. And Terrence Stamp plays this character. They're teaching him a lot of things, and he he's uh, obviously a grown adult, so he's not just a kid. And he has the uh, hormones of an adult, but the mind of a child. So Robert Vaughn at first wants to kind of comfort him and and do the the right way, but uh, there, there's another doctor who's a little bit more stern about it, and their heads kind of clash. But uh, it's, it's a really well-done drama. Um, Terrence Stamp is freaking fantastic in it. Robert Vaughn is good in it. Um, and there's uh, parts that get a little scarier when um, poor uh, Ter uh, Terrence Stamp gets out among the wild. And, and, and there's a really, really well-shot scene. I just meant not so well-shot. I mean, it is, but I just love the look of it. I love the location of it with the, the kind of con English countryside rainy and the barn and everything. They're trying to talk him out. But uh, the really thing, the thing I can say a lot about this is the, the performance is really great and it brings up some cool good good questions um there is kind of a weird aspect at one point where this young this young woman kind of finds him and she almost seems to like fall in love with him instantly and you're like what the hell's going on and we have like a big situation or like a jack situation where the grown adult is falling for this technically child and uh, she's just like because she's obviously unhappy in her marriage that, that whole thing could have been kind of written off i probably could have done without that but um we we do have a fish out of water kind of story here not necessarily horror a little bit sci-fi which is really well acted movie from uh indicator put that out i believe yeah is it an indicator flick it absolutely is so yeah okay the next 1970 movie is also put out by indicator i do not have it unfortunately you can rent it on voodoo or amazon and this is fragment of fear um, this is one that stars David Hemmings who is no stranger to the jolly or thriller um, he is in blow up which um, i really need to, he's in blowout sorry the uh antonioni movie which i really should watch i know that's a that's a bad blind spot on my part i should really watch that movie um and he's also in deep red so and he's done some other ones like he was involved with the film survivor that severin put out. i think he directed that freaking movie so david hemmings is kind of a, a cult following for sure so um this is fragment of fear 1970 um what we have here is he's a recovering addict um he was big in he, he drugs and he wrote this book that is uh, is very popular and he's kind of like uh talking to this friend of his that helped him out and she's a person that likes to help addicts and everything like that and they're um, vacationing and she is uh they're supposed to meet later for something and she's murdered he's instantly kind of taken back by this murder and he starts to get involved with it and be infatuated with everything and before long he uh, talks to the friends and, and something seems off. He's like obsessed with this murder. And it feels a lot like, you know, Bird with the Crystal Bloomage where you have this character who witnesses a murder or witnesses the attempted murder and then becomes infatuated with the case and starts running amok and I'm trying to figure it out. All this one, it seems like a lot of people are fighting him on it and he's getting these strange phone calls and you're like, is this gaslighting? Is this insanity? You're not really necessarily sure where it is and it starts to bleed in and all these kind of things. And it ends in the worst wedding ceremony since The Graduate. Uh, there, I mean, it's one of the towards the ending there's this crazy wedding ceremony that's like this has got to be the worst wedding since the graduate um but yeah uh, anyways i thought this was a fairly solid movie and creepy and i really don't know what the hell happened i really can't figure out where where uh the the fact and fiction lie and that that's a compliment but um the score is great the music really pops in and i thought that that worked really well it was very memorable it's got some really good looks about it, it has some dark stuff too because he's this recovering addict so he'll see like a guy shooting up heroin obviously it bothers him and 
there's attempts to beat him up and give him heroin needles and make him kind of relapse and everything. But uh, yeah, a good film, a uh, unique film, not super unique, but a good solid thriller with some dark stuff that, um, and for 1970, I'd say it's a little ahead of its time. It's a little different. Um, yeah, David Hemmings is good in the film for sure. And there's an interaction he has with this cop where he's just like, you hear the laughing on the tape? He's like, um, yeah, just like the laugh you did. He's like, it wasn't me though. It's just like, you're like, oh man, you really start to feel, there's a lot of gaslighting movies like this and how awful about Alan kind of fit kind of the same mold, but this is a bigger, more professionally done movie. And who's the guy who did it? It's a, a Safarian who did the vanishing point. I believe he did. And he did some other films too, some action films, kind of a semi-famous director for sure. And a man, he actually acted in um, bound the one with, um, uh, geez, uh, Gina Gershon and uh, Tilly and uh, Joey Pants. He's in that one and John P. Ryan. Great film by the Wachowski at the time, brothers, now sisters. Uh, so yeah, so anyways, uh, I, that's a good film and he's also acted in that one, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while, so yeah. This is a pretty interesting film. Okay, the last one from 1970 is Scream of the Demon Lover, and this is a Spanish film. I do not have a copy, although Retro Media put out a DVD, and there is a, a, a UK Blu-ray not UK, I mean, uh, German Blu-ray, possibly. I don't know if it's English-friendly or not. But, uh, yeah, this is kind of a strange Spanish film. Very gothic, very much of the time. We have a young woman who is hired by this doctor, this mysterious baron, to come to her castle and help him with these scientific experiments. When she gets there immediately, the village kind of shuns her. They don't want anything to do with her because there's been people that have been murdered around this castle. Anybody that goes to this castle is found murdered later on, so they blame the baron or his brother who um, had died under bad circumstances, was burned. So it's just kind of bad juju. He and She ends up finding a way there almost immediately somebody tries to rape her it's not a good sign she gets away she gets to the castle and this the the baron has some weird chauvinistic attitude about it. he's like well you're a woman you can't help me there's like a maid around that obviously is mr everybody in here seems suspect as hell butler's maids and before long she starts to figure out that something's going on at night she seems to be kidnapped stripped down nude and almost tortured by this burned guy that looks like he's the guy from blood and lace the 1971 weird of movie but i think that guy's wearing a mask anyways he looks like a strange burned like bald guy and like uh before long you're starting to wonder is this a jekyll and hyde story is this a, a burned brother lost in the castle story all this comes to fruition and everything like that um there is a couple murders of course it has a gothic feel uh fairly decent has some sleazy stuff going on some nudity um yeah not not a wonderfully great movie but it does have a cool location in the castle it has some good kind of superstitious town folk has as a gothic stuff flair you're looking for would probably play a lot better if i got to see it in a cleaned up version on blu-ray or in hd or something like that i would definitely buy one this looks like something that severin would put out or even a vinegar syndrome uh throw a cat ellinger or sam deegan commentary on there and and i think you got yourself a good flick um a nice spanish horror film for sure um just i feel like there's a couple versions of this one too at one point aip put it out and they chopped it up to like 76 minutes or something like that and i think the long version is 94 96 minutes so yeah anyways i thought this one was decent the baron was a dickhead um yeah that's that's pretty much what i would say about uh the scream of my my uh uh the demon lover all right we're here for blind spot this is your pick and it's blind spot because neither of us has seen it uh this is day of the triffids and this is 1962 is this based on a book i feel like this has got to be a book i think it's, it's based off <clears throat> yeah. a book. so this is a 1962 63 film directed by a guy i'm not too familiar with i know he did a slew of stuff less less horror oriented and co-directed by freddie francis he goes uncredited for it uh it's another reason i wanted to watch it 
Um, it's a sci-fi film about a, a space invasion of some sort of plant, triffids, and they become cannibalistic from some sort during this meteor shower. Or it, It's kind of strange how it is. You never really understand exactly how they got there. If they're actually being shot down with the meteor shower or they came down before and they're being activated by the meteor shower. Because right. you mentioned stuff, stuff. It's kind of a little kind of strange in the film. So essentially, it's basically an apocalyptic movie. This meteor shower hits. Um, and also, the meteor shower blinds everyone who's seen it. Uh, the main character is basically a guy who just had a Navy man who just had eye surgery, so his eyes were covered. He missed this beautiful sight that everybody looked at. Um, that, that The opening kind of reminded me of Night of the Comet when everybody goes out to see the comet. And, oh, guess what? They all turn to fucking dust, <laughs> which is really kind of terrifying. Kind I'm of ready. Kind of like in the um, that real-life story where everybody saw the giant tidal wave. Remember that? And they told them it was harmless, and they all went and stood on the fucking beach, and when the tidal wave hit it, it broke everybody's neck and took them out the sea. Yeah. Why am I laughing? I'm sick. I just like, that's a piece of history that always just is like, what the hell were we thinking? Um, so essentially what happens is everybody looks at the meteor shower, they're all blinded, and what comes in um, is a bunch of giant killer plants. And it's up to the people that, uh, some of course, obviously wouldn't have witnessed it, either working or sleeping or some sort of accident, um, to try to survive the situation. And um, everywhere there's a lot of blind people. Some uh, And some people are hostile, of course, in the end of the world that's right. going to happen. So it's basically um, a, a fairly epic movie traveling from point to point, and lots of crazy stuff happens. Uh, yeah, so there, there's two... You could take it over. Two sets of characters that they follow. Um, there's the... The, the Navy man that, that had the eye surgery and, you know, he's walking, like, downtown London, I think. Um, you know, everybody's blind and he finds another girl that can see. Um, the little girl, that's a really the, great scene on the yeah, train. Yeah, and, that, and he, she was, like, a stowaway, so she didn't see the the, the meteor shower. Um, that that scene uh, reminded me a lot of that the movie, I think it's called Blindness, that came out, like, maybe early 2000s. Danny Glover. I, I never saw that. I remember seeing the cover. It, this movie also reminded me with everyone being blind. Um, the 1976 movie, The People Who Own the Dark, which is a Spanish film. can't remember who directed that one, but it has Paul Nashie and some other familiar faces in it. A really great movie, and it's just essentially everybody goes blind, but they go crazy. Right. It's a really good movie. You know, um, that blindness movie is, uh, you know, everybody kind of like, everybody goes blind except for one person. Yeah. But they all think that she's blind, and then they slowly, and they have them all like in like, camps or something and uh what they have the non-blind people in camps no they have all the blind people in camps but everybody goes blind except for this one character but then they find out that she can see so they kind of like use her to like kind of get out of the camps and stuff yeah it's it's a really fun movie um but i don't want to talk about that let's Uh, talk about yeah of course but it reminds me of something very similar where um once they find out that somebody can see it's like oh you need to do all this stuff for us um, but it also follows another group of people, some um, scientists, two scientists in a lighthouse. Um, so the, the the naval captain and I don't know if he's a captain or I think he's the navy a, guy. He and, might just be a seaman. Yeah, I, I think he's just Davies, still in the navy and probably yeah. will be for life. Okay, we got it. Um, he <laughs> so yeah. he, he's taking his band of cohorts to you know find some shelter. There's some different bases set up for people to go to while the and they're, they don't even know, these two characters don't cross, these two sets of characters. The lighthouse people are doing research on marine biology and then like, 
oh, we got the triplets Yeah, I thought here. that they'd eventually cross, but they never they, do. They never cross, um, but they find out how to destroy the Triffids, and it, it's, it's really it's War of the, the Worlds. It's the salt of the sea yeah, that we inherited by being on this Earth of all course. along. Yeah, I mean, very it's War of the Worlds. Very like. War of the Worlds. But um, the one thing that I noticed, and it's funny, like... We talk about, like, sci-fi from the 50s and 60s. Um, Quatermass Experiment has, like, huge ideas, and it's, it has some dark moments. Mm-hmm. Um, all those sci-fi movies were just so dark and thought-provoking and just, I don't want to say edgy, but edgy for the, not for the sake of being edgy, but they fucking were. They made, they're like, wow. And I know there is some science fiction that does that nowadays, but these, like, kind of big movies like this, I feel like just have a lot more guts. Like, even in the, um, this movie that's probably considered pg now it probably was always yeah. pg um the plants don't look exceptionally great but for the time they're very cool they're big they're kind of scary sometimes they move a little clunky but that's expected but people get killed and i was yeah. just like there's some points where the character is not like the biggest hero he doesn't want to be a hero he wants to survive he'll save people if he can he'll help people if he can but he's not gonna he's not gonna die to save a house full of blind people and there's this scene where these criminals end up showing up to this um the blind this house of blind people in the town and um they start taking advantage of everyone and he just kind of the plants start invading because of loud noises um and he just leaves and there's a couple main characters not main characters but supporting characters that get killed there and you're just like yeah it's like and nowadays i feel like they would never allow that and and i'm always bad mouthing movies nowadays but they just don't have the punch like i just feel like they'd be like we can't kill anyone who has a speaking line well, like there's the um yeah during the, the whole house party scene um there there was a blind girl that they introduced that you think might be a potential yeah. love interest yeah. like she's friends with a girl she just gets massacred like trying to get outside to chase yeah. them and it's written, like it's very nonchalant. They don't stop there and mourn her death. It's but like it's sad, but they're just like, we gotta go. Like time <laughs> to go to Spain. <laughs> it reminds me like even in uh, Day of the Animals was a seventies movie. Uh, maybe maybe early eighties. It might be early eighties, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's a great one, man. It's a carryover from the seventies. But like people bite it and they like they're like shit. All you basically see on their face for like two seconds, like, mm-hmm. where is he? Didn't make it. Like they don't have time to be like <gasps> But you, it's just right. like, it's more impactful that way. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Those guys are dead? Those guys aren't coming back. They're yeah. not going to wander out of the house okay. Like, I have to have stakes in my movies. Um, and, like, meaningful stakes. That's why, like, people bite it here. You're like, oh, shit. You feel bad. The plants also have some sort of acidic-like thing to yeah. them. Um, we w- both wish they would have dived into that a little bit more because it's a cool aspect and a very typical aspect of mm-hmm. weird creatures that have an acidic thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or a hallucinatory touch or something like that. There's also different puppets for this movie. Like, it's, I think it's, like, really clear that there was, like, an A team and a B team. I think um, B team is working on, uh, wh- who's B team? Um, the background puppets in the big house attacks, those were kind of ch- uh, chintzy. Well, I, I don't mean to say, it, like, A is a better team than B, but I mean, like, there's definitely two different teams. Um... Like, the ones, the plants that show up in the lighthouse are, like, very gnarly. So, we like, got lighthouse team. Um, we have, like, lighthouse team, you know, and they, they look, like, really thorny. Um, they're very droopy. Like, they and almost look like too. they came from the sea. But then you have, like, the team that's in Spain and Paris. Um, and these ones are, like, really sleek, tall, upright. There's also a lot more of them. 
Um, they almost look more plastic, like they had to produce like a bunch of them. Well, it's most definitely. Yeah. Kind of like if you see a zombie movie and the zombies featured in the front, like in a, in a Day of the Dead, it look excellent. And then you like, see in the background, there's just the guy in a mask. Like, right, <laughs> right. Like, you or know, Dawn of the Dead, there's this guy. It's like just some, you know, just throw the blue paint. There's like no paint on this guy's face. Right. The, the ones that are out wandering the wilderness, you tend to see more full body shots. Versus the ones in the lighthouse, maybe because they are inside, you, you only see like bits of them up close. Um, and I think the ones in the greenhouse, too, might be the same as the ones that were in the lighthouse. But it looks like that they, they have two different designs. And I don't know if that's intentional, you know, because they are in like different locations, or if it's just because, like, uh, uh, you, you guys are make, make those ones and we'll make these ones and. You know, now we have a complete. Or movie. maybe one was a reshoot or something. Because <coughs> I'm right. not familiar with the book, but the lead guy, man, he um, he's just a big guy. Mm-hmm. He um, he doesn't have that much um personality. He does, but he doesn't. He's not like overly um compassionate, but he's also not super cold hearted or anything like that. Right. He's he, very practical. He's very logical. Um, he doesn't stop and he doesn't really discuss or or philosophize about anything he's just kind of well we need to get the hell out of here we need to do this and that mm-hmm. oh aren't you gonna save him? I, what am i gonna do right like very very practical um he kind of reminds me of I, I guess maybe they would say he's kind of a generic hero back then but like I, I don't feel like i think he's different i feel like he's a little um unorthodox do you like he's not like the guy from like uh, earth dies screaming who is kind right. of practical but also a heroic type or even a john wayne type who's tough but deep down inside sometimes you see some kind of like shot sh- uh, well you he's know. just like a very reluctant hero like yeah. a very like I, I guess this is what i have to do right now he's not really he's just he's, he's trying to do the right thing but he's like yeah it's like yeah i mean th- this is just what we got to do he does have like the whole sacrifice at the end um or he's like, oh, you guys. You get out of here. You guys that get out of here happens. and I'll blast the ice cream truck music. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, so, they, they find out that they're attracted to sound. How many something. horror movies have ice cream trucks? Well, we have the Ice Cream Man. We uh-huh. have Phantasm. And then we have Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Those are the ice cream truck horror movies. And I think that's an ice, ice cream truck trilogy. run over somebody in Amityville. Uh, it's about time. I think some old lady gets ran over an ice cream truck. It's been like 20 years since I watched that. It's um, like four Goosebumps books based on oh, ice yeah, cream yeah, trucks. Yeah. Um, then we got Sweet Tooth, uh, Heavy Metal, whatever. <laughs> um, Twisted Metal. Sorry, Heavy Metal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thinking about unorthodox heroes like that, um, I know it's different. And this guy is definitely more um, caring and compassionate. But I feel like the lead in The Crazies, he kind of has that. He's very really similar. Love, you know? But yeah. I, I love the guy from The Crazies. I think mm-hmm. like we get this middle-aged kind of guy, used to be a hometown hero, really reluctant, doesn't really like feel like the praise he's like a um volunteer firefighter you know i mm-hmm. always, i think that character's interesting to me because it's yeah. not typical uh yeah so I, I thought this was enjoyable i thought the ending was kind of meh um just because it's like we already seen that in war of the worlds and we knew it was going to happen like right. you see in the back it's a salt like the fire hose in, in the lighthouse you know it's coming when it starts with the narration too just like how it yeah. ends just like war of the worlds um I, I think the ending is fine. Um, typical. Typical. I mean, signs did it. This um, is a late. This is late for the time. I would say sixty-two. This is starting to get late, right? I'd say it's probably on on the later side. But then you know, in the early two thousands, they redid it all 
all over again. But, uh, yeah, they did a lot of those sci-fi remakes. You know. But I'm just saying, um, when you think of the sci-fi cycle. But then we had still the Quatermass movies going on up until 68 was right. the last one of those. But that one, um, they, they like started to kind of feel more like 60s, 70s, where they start to add these, like, I want to say, I know they're not, but they're psychedelic ideas of insanity, mind-bending ideas, where you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. We're in the DNA aliens, and, and like we have that weird, like I don't know. This starts to get real kind of mind trippy later on. Um, Quatermass in the Pit. Um, that was a fantastic movie. Uh, the um, Quatermass trilogy is the best. It's probably the best series. Hammer series. But, I'm sorry, um, I know that sounds shitty, but those are great. There's, you know, but the, but that that was a fantastic movie. It was a bit hard to follow at times, but once it started to fall into place, I thought it was fantastic. The second one's easy to follow. The, the first second, and the third have real big ideas. Yeah, the, the second one, though, I don't know if it's the time frame, but, the, but to me, it was like one of the most like graphic, like, like it, it almost gave me kind of chills watching it, like watching the burned up people and the idea that they're just like dissolving their the flesh yeah, of people yeah. that fall into the the goop and whatnot, and then they like beg for them to come to. They go over the intercom. It's like, like come to us. We won't hurt you. <laughs> we reminds, just want to swallow your juices. That reminds me of, of course, Return of the Dead One. Yeah, two. exactly. Uh, send part more one, send more po- cops, send more paramedics, and then on uh, part two, come to the hospital. Right. Who's the president? Harry Truman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, um, but uh, but and then you know, there's obviously a, a big time get or time skip between the second and third. Cater Mass, it's like what twenty years maybe. Yeah, Don Lovey's not in it anymore. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Sorry about this. We went on this tirade of sci-fi, right. but we have more interesting conversations with sci-fi films. I think. Um. I. I, I think they have more to offer than just. Well, there are a lot of ideas and stuff. Right. But some of the big when a horror movie has good ideas, it's it's unmatched. Like a great horror movie is unmatched. In oh quality. yeah, it's unmatched. There's no. I, I can't say a genre that's even better to me it's on match horror sci-fi and horror are the most interesting to me they always <laughs> they, they, be. they almost go hand in hand really that's hard um, to differentiate the two same right. thing with cult films so so how many killer plant movies have you ever seen well we have the happening <laughs> we have little shop of horrors i never saw the 50s one though or maybe early 60s 1960 1950 something the, the roger corman one right Jamie. i never saw that one but we do have the uh remake from 86 which right. i've seen that the happening um, there's got to be more the ruins, which is the ruins is a lot better than people would give. I think it's a good movie. I, I think it's kind of underrated. I vaguely remember that. It's pretty one. graphic, especially for the time. We have Dave of the Triffids, and then there was a, um, like I said, a mini series made in the '80s, and then one made in the 2000s. We haven't watched those. Yeah. What are some other killer plant movies? Um, well, Evil Dead has a pretty gnarly tree rape. Yeah, but that's not a killer plant movie. Um, oh, The Guardian. You ever seen The Guardian? Mm-mm. It's. <laughs> oh, Is it... Pumpkinhead a plant? No. He's a pumpkin? No, he's not. Oh. (laughs) Ed Holly. No, um... (laughs) What the hell was I going to say about The Guardian? The Guardian is a weird William Freakin movie, believe it or not. Low budget for a Freakin movie, but whatever. Made 1990, if I'm not mistaken, and it's about a druid lady, and they worship a tree. And she wants... She's a babysitter, or acts like a babysitter, to get the babies to feed them to this tree monster. It's like a tree god. Um, There's this spoiler for The Guardian, which... It's kind of an underappreciated movie uh, where these uh, these bikers in the middle of the woods go to try to rape her, but she's by the tree, and the tree just fucks them up. It's like, and like shooting roots up and everything. Fern Gully. That's not a killer. That doesn't count. So we have because it's Tim Curry. Day of the Triffids. That I've seen Day of the Triffids, The Happening, The Ruins, um, Little Shop of Horrors, The Guardian. What else is there? Oh, um, Crawlers. 
aka Troll Three. Oh. It's about killer roots. <laughs> uh, Joe Diamato, uh, I think, uncredited director in that possibly. Who do you think wins in a fight, or Triffitt or Audrey Two? Audrey Two, man. Audrey Two. One Triffitt, those Triffitts. I mean, how strong is their acid? I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it was a strong enough to like the, the poisonous or venomous or whatever the hell's on a plant. They're very strong similar. enough to kill an old man. Yeah, they, but, and they both come from outer space. Yeah, um, I gotta give it to. Is there any other plants that come from outer space that eat people? I mean, the deadly spawn versus the Triffids. The deadly spawn are gonna take. It. Oh yeah, deadly spawn. I mean, you know, Triffids are. And they're so not plants, many. but still, I'm trying to think of yeah. killer plant movie. I think we hit a bunch of. Then we have the um, <laughs> the, the meteor meteor shit from uh, Creep Show. <laughs> uh, the uh, that's a killer plant. We got that kind of stuff too. That once you get it on you, you're, you're yeah, oh yeah, so well, like mossy stuff yeah, and yeah. things like that. Um, Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, Swamp Thing. <laughs> but he's a good guy. Yeah, he's he killed. Um, he's tasty. It was blood. kill or be killed. Swamp Thing would taste Fly or die. <laughs> um, he killed David Hess. Yeah. Grandmother Willow from Pocahontas. I, I think we've named a lot of kill, more killer plant movies than we expected. I'm kind of trailing on here. Um, so what else is there? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. John Stanley's Creature Features. And it is in here. Um, ooh, bookmark day ooh. of the triffids 1963 two and a half out of five john wyman's novel was mangled by screenwriter philip yordan in the british version at one point deteriorating into a man battling rampaging monsters still simple uh still some of uh winham's unusual end of mankind story remains intact showing how much of the world's population is blinded by meteor shower spared their vision how, Howard Keel, Nickel, um, that's weird how they did that. Spear, spared the vision, that's weird. It's just showing how uh, most of the world's population is blinded by a meteor shower. Spared their vision. Oh, Howard spared their vision. Kid Howard Keel and Nicole Murray flee to safety, surrounded by armies of triffids, spores from meteors which grow into unpruned plant-like beans, which yank up their roots and stalk mortals. Their pods delivering a lethal sting, directed by Steve Selkie and Freddie Francis, Janet. Oh, okay, but isn't that just strange how they put that there? No, spared their vision. I know, Howard. spared their vision, their characters, but it's just I would I don't know I would just never start a sentence like that. Because I probably would have phrased that their vision spared. Yes, like I've just like spared their vision. I was like, okay, I'm a dumbass, so forget me. AKA Revolt of the Triffids and Invasion of the Triffids. Boom. You see, I take the time to read my passage. You pre read it before. so you know exactly what to expect. Right. I don't do that. So I'm just like, oh, the house. Today, Junior. I did the. I don't know what this is called. James O'Neill tear on tape. Okay. Um, three, no, two and a half out of four. That's good. Yeah, 93 minutes. 1963, I'm not going to read all the names because I don't care. Not bad adaptation of the John Wyndham novel about a worldwide outbreak of blindness following a spectacular meteor shower. The meteors also bring to Earth a plague of mobile, man-killing plants called Triffids. Though shot on a restricted budget, the film tries for an expensive, big-budget feel. Ron Goodwin's grand voice... Bernard Herman-esque score helps a lot. With variable effects work and a strong cast, an uncredited Francis directed the scenes of Moore and Scott at the lighthouse. Okay, okay so there we go. We that figured that. You're right. Sense. Yeah, that there was a, a B team. Um, what did you rate it? A seven to seven and a half. Seven, I mean... Out of ten. Seven and a quarter. I mean, I'm very... I, I like this kind of stuff. You guys remember Last right. Man on Earth? I gave like a nine. I like I really the end of the world kind of stuff, man. I just like that... that sci-fi especially like 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 that early like 40s to 60s sci-fi is just fantastic um 
Like, I, I really got hot when I saw Janet Scott fight a triffid that shoots poison and kills. Um, I'd Shut probably give it... <laughs> um, out of five, I, I'd probably give it a four. A four out of five. I think that it was really fun. An easy watch. Um, you know, a little bit disjointed because of the two separate, unrelated... Like, sure, the people found out how to kill the triffids, but how did they get off the island? Like, where was the boat coming? I mean... They don't need a stinking boat. They, they don't need a resolution. You know what a great end-of-the-world movie is? Hmm. Or it doesn't actually end. It ends on a more positive note. But you absolutely... I think it's one of your favorites is uh, Maxim Overdrive. Oh, no. Fuck <laughs> Just... that movie. That movie fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't get it. Why, why does the toaster you? kill people? Ain't nobody told you. All right. No. I don't know why I'm going to talk about the theories of Maxim Overdrive, but... People were like, okay, why are the trucks alive, but the cars aren't? How come the electrical appliances come to life, but why are the sprinklers operating on their own? Because they're not hooked up to an electric system. They're not automatic sprinklers. Or like the fucking machine gun. Who's firing the machine gun? Who's firing the machine gun? Here's what's happening. Uh Uh-huh. There is a spaceship in the sky that they uh, in space that they say, uh-huh. and they shoot that spaceship down at the end, and it stops. The Russian, I think, a Russian uh, space station shot at that satellite or something down the ship. What was happening was the aliens were on there controlling things with uh, telekinesis. Oh, telekinesis. They had to. But why would they, they not control? They had to. Why else? I don't understand. <laughs> That's the only way you can explain it because there's no way the machine gun would work. There's no way the the, 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 the hoses would go on and off. The only way you can explain it. And battery... <laughs> And, and battery operated cars, right? Battery operated. They don't make cars. any sense. Why would the synthetic the, no, flesh stop? Why <laughs> would the um the little car? You see a dog with one of those in his mouth. That's not electric. That's battery operated. Like, there's no electrical like system to those little remote control cars that the dog ate. So no. why did it explode in his mouth? It was battery operated. Why is like the fucking like butcher knife like flopping on? That the makes bro- sense because it's electric. We assume that the <laughs> electricity goes it. crazy, but. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, like, it doesn't. I've tried to think about it by gasoline. But you know what? It brings up a lot of good questions about humanity. Like, no, it doesn't. You know what? Who made who, Jerry? <laughs> who made you? Ain't nobody told you. Oh, my fucking God. Why is the Green Goblin in that? Because he's cool. Like, like how much did he pay to get the rights to use a Green Goblin semi truck? Dino De Laurentiis didn't pay nothing. <coughs> he was like, listen, Stanley. <laughs> Uh, you know, back back in the eighties, I, I guess Marvel was kind of tanking. So oh, yeah. I mean, they probably sort of for pennies. Neil Gustavus is actually playing Spider Man in that movie. I don't know if you knew that. You know, that, that, that <laughs> technically means that uh, all the trucks of Maximum Overdrive are Disney princesses, and they're also Spider Man villains. Yes, <laughs> and they're all better than that frog guy and uh, Stilt Man. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, we're on a tirade. This maybe it was we just wanted to talk. My my pick for you for you ain't seen next week uh-huh. is going to be the Cat O Nine Tales, mm-hmm. the second. In the animal trilogy That's from Dario Argento. Oh no! No, the first one oh, was cat, the Crystal Plumage. Now we have Cat and Nine Tails. Yeah, Fulci did Cat in the Brain. It was it was a fine movie. <laughs> Fulci plays Elmer Fudd. I it's, love it. It's really just Fulci walking around and then showing clips from his better movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, <gasps> and then <laughs> on his fucking. Death I haven't bed. seen that in years, but I like it. We watched it. Although, do you know what Duncan McLeish did from Summer Series for the 90s? I'm, I Gun know to my know. head, I couldn't tell you who Duncan McLeish is. Okay, well, he's the guy who runs Summer Series. Fuck. <laughs> he put Cat and the Brain in over Tremors. That's a fair. That's fair. I don't particularly care. Shut up. Tremors. This is over. We're done. You're watching Cat on Nine Tails and then Tremors. 
I've already seen Tremors. If, if I'm watching Tremors and you're watching Shock Treatment for the next six months. I don't mind. Shock Treatment's a good movie. It is a good movie. It's the only movie ever made. It's not as good as Tremors 1. It's, Tremors 1 is barely a musical. It's not a musical at all. But That's what, the problem. What, what Automatically. Be, what lo- beats rock? What, mean what beats rock? Paper. We're going to do rock, paper, scissors mm-hmm. to see which is better, Shock Treatment or Tremors. Right here. Okay. All right. You got to put your hand up. Got to make sure it's in the camera. All right, go. Stop, what are you doing? All right, rock, paper, scissors. Oh, no, no you I, cheated. No, 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 I was like that. <laughs> Bullshit. Like Bullshit, that. I win. Already shredded paper. Tremors is the better movie of shock treatment. No. We're out of here. It's over. I'm going to turn the camera it. off because I control. No. It's over. No, <laughs> I, 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 no, 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 go away, go away, go away. No, it's trash. It's trash. Kevin Bacon is trash. Kevin Bacon is weird looking. You should just watch Heather's. You should watch Shock Treatment. Oh, watch Heather's and, and Christian Slater doesn't look like a snake. Kevin Bacon's the weird guy now. Kevin Christian Slater is a damn snake. He's a better snake than all the little Tremor snakes. I don't even know what's going on in Tremors. Reba McIntyre's in it. I guess she has a gun. That's cool. The end. It's already worth a couple stars right there. No, no. Here's the, here's, here's the system. Is this movie Heather's? Yes, five stars. Is it not? No stars. Hey, here's the new system. Does this movie have Reva McIntyre? Yes. Does this movie have a gun? Yes. Five stars. Okay, we're done. Bye. Okay, we have some questions, comments, all that good stuff. So this was from last week. I forgot to ask it. Fruit Wobbler, I've got to apologize to you. I doubted how much you would uh, would come from the Plan 9 bit, but I was wrong. That trailer at the end rocked hard. Where would you source it from? I got it from YouTube, actually. Is it your own making, like that excellent Cinema of 70 intro? No, it's not. Made up uh, for both of you having to read opinions off a book. Hey, listen, I've been doing the book thing for a while since we've been doing the blind spot and the ones where we used to make each other watch stuff. I've been doing the book thing because I feel like it sparks conversation between us. Like if a, if a critic writes something that we agree with or disagree with, we can elaborate on it. So I feel like it's a good way to kind of carry it on a little further you know what i mean and provoke more discussion so um he says i hate 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 the skin i live in the sexual politics of that one are beyond so the pale so that should be interesting as well so disappointed that you did not wear the slutty wife beater this week that would have made the de niro impression stand out even more which one's the slutty wife beater i'm not so sure but but definitely de niro and the wife beater for the win um I liked your kid enthusiasm for the Damagen box set. Now I badly want to watch them. Ronnie uh, Patoja, I'm a huge Chris Farley fan, and although Beverly Hills Ninja isn't my favorite of his filmography, it's still a lot of fun nonetheless. Also, I have a nephew who is four years old and into ninjas big time right now, and this is the perfect film to introduce him to the legendary Chris Farley. Now he comes over and wants to put it on Netflix as soon as he gets here. That's right. Elk Vomit, a big fan of the original Maniac. I love the remake a lot. I really believe Elijah Wood nailed it. He's really, really good at playing oddball creep characters. Plus, what I even like more about the casting of Elijah is that nowadays, people who do horrendous things in real life look like him. It's always these skinny, meek, frail-looking guys who shoot up schools and commit murder. And it always has me thinking to myself, man, I could knock this guy out in one punch, right? It's always these pathetic people that don't want to fist fight. They're just like, I feel bad. I'm going to shoot a bunch of kids. I want to hurt society in the worst way. It's just like pathetic. Uh, great movie and kind of underrated in terms of remakes that are actually good. Jason Bovey, wow, I was surprised to hear that you hadn't seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, given your taste in films. I love that movie. It's very trance-like with an amazing soundtrack. I'm really looking forward to hearing your uh, forward to hearing your take on this one. Mark Jones at large, dang, I turned out and missed the contest. There will always be more uh, contests. Don't worry about it. 
Uh, Travis Linscombe, I didn't know you liked Andrew Jackson Jihad. We could have been hanging out years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Franco fan, but I haven't seen Nightmares Come at Night yet, but it's highly regarded amongst the fans usually, so I'm surprised you didn't dig it. I've been meaning to check it out. Now I'm really confused. I'm curious. Um, I, maybe more people would enjoy it. I think maybe it was lost, so when it came out, people were like, yes, finally we get to see it, so a lot of the hardcores knew about it, and then when they finally saw it, they were very satisfied. Well, I'm not a hardcore. I am just a, uh, I wouldn't say casual Franco fan. I'm a fan, but I'm not a hardcore fan. I've seen probably 20, 25 of his movies, and I like the majority, and he's one of my top 50 favorite horror directors, but I wouldn't say a hardcore like a Stephen Thrower who is like the, the one of the guys that knows everything about him. Eric Townsley, hey Mr. Parka, my one-off is Elijah Wood for Maniac. Great remake. The one-off, my question of the week was one-off horror performances by actors who don't typically do horror performances that are great. So he gives the Maniac. Michael Bernard, uh, Alexander Aja also did the Hills Have Eyes remake and Piranha 2011 remake and the High Tension. His movies tend to be pretty brutal. Your reviews are great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. He also did Mirrors, which is the only one I haven't seen by him. So, Isimisio, off the top of my head, I can't think of Jeremy. Uh, I can think of Jeremy Redner and Dahmer and Kathy Bates and Misery as great performances slash actors that don't normally do horror. One Dark Knight is a great watch, particularly for Halloween. In my case, I'm glad they're re-releasing it and people don't have to pay a fortune for the Code Red. Sinister is one of the few widely distributed horror films that freak me. Out. When I first saw the remake of Maniac, I liked it better than the original. Then I rewatched the original a few times, and the defining moment that really pushed me towards loving the original more now is, versati- is the versatility of how Joe Spinell portrayed Frank. The one scene that I particularly like from the original film is the restaurant scene where Frank Spinell chit chats with Anna. They're hitting it off really well, probably the peak of the relationship at this point. And he shows her a picture of his mother. As someone was a fly on the wall in that scene or listening in from the restaurant, he would have come off as very charismatic and normal. Uh, you you never would have known he killed it all. With Elijah Wood's portrayal of Frank, he was always an oddball throughout the film. And even during his moments with Anna, the character came off less dynamic as a usual as a result, whereas Spinell's performance uh, portrayal has more layers and complexities. Almost like a light being switched, uh, a switch being turned on slash off as he goes into his maniac self. Yet there is also a flicker of hope that he wants to lead a normal life. Self, presumably with Anna if any, everything goes well, which we know it doesn't. The remake was good on first watch though. I like both quite a bit. I, I prefer the original. I, I mean, Joe Spinell is one of the ultimate character actors. I mean, I was so excited to watch 92 in the Shade just to see Spinell and Warren Oates act together. And I was just like, oh shit. I knew they were both in it, but I was like, do they share a scene? That's the key. Travis Wright, Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Nick Moore, an excellent choice in movies. Even if I saw most of these films already this time around, it's always a joy to hear your perspective. Especially if a film I enjoy myself. I've always felt that the Sir Roger Moore is at his finest in The Man Who Haunted Himself. Also, don't you just love Elijah Wood, whether he's starring in or producing a horror film, he always brings it home. Yeah, yeah, love it. And what else do we have? On the business, uh, onto business. Some of my favorite one-off horror performances: Jesse Buckley and Johnny Flynn in 2017's *Beast*. Both uh, leads still give me the creeps. Jeremy Renner in *Brotherhood of the Wolf*. Uh, Jeremy, uh, I don't know that actor. I can't say it. Renene in *Brotherhood of the Wolf*. He plays the younger version of the nobleman telling the story. Roger Moore in *The Man Who Haunted Himself*. Lastly, Andrew Lansbury in *The Company of Wolf*. Wolves. Questions: If you were to split into two people, different people, how would they be? Um, one would probably be very relaxed. One would be very hyper. One would be very, um, ego driven and have no, um, discipline. And the other would be very disciplined and self self uh, depreciative. Um, which version of the blob do you prefer? 1980s version. Although I do like some of the kind of semi blob style movies like Quatermass 2 and 
Kaltiki. Um, as you've seen millions of horror movies, does the twist ever surprise you, or do you always see it coming? And why is it so difficult to come up with a halfway distant decent twist? They've all been done, or they're too choreographed. Um, Incident in the Ghostland, that twist surprised me. Did not see that coming. Martyrs, that twist surprised me. Ken Coakley, my favorite performance by non-horror actor is Threefold. The three main actors in Jaws, a great horror movie that got robbed at the Oscars. Robert Shaw's speech about the Indianapolis at the tail end of World War II was worthy of Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Richard Dreyfuss, who won the Best Oscar two years later, turned in an epic performance and, in my opinion, is best. I would also like to give kudos to Harrison Ford for What Lies Beneath, as the villain for the first time since American Graffiti, which he made before Star Wars. I would like to give an honorable mention to Terry Alexander in Day of the Dead. Alexander is a character actor who does different genres. Genres. The reason I mentioned him is because the scene in the camper where he gives a speech on why he was it was all happening had me memorized. Mesmerized. I especially liked the part where he said it, it was possibly the maker punishing us for trying to figure his shit out. Maybe he wanted to show us what hell was really like. That scene is my favorite scene in all George Romero's Dead films. I love that scene. That's actually Jeremy's favorite scene in Day of the Dead too. Um visited a curse on us this is once 14 mile tombstone tombstone with an epitaph on it which ain't nobody gonna bother to read yeah that's that's some brilliant acting there that's a reading that gave me chills you just mentioning that yeah um it's a great scene. Um, one last thing, if I may, I would like to reverse it and mention a great performance by a horror actor in a non-non-horror film, and that is the great, late, great Joe Pilato in Knight Riders. The tension between him and Ed Harris seemed real, but it wasn't. Joe Pilato had nice things to say about Harris when I met him in 2005. Joe Pilato was a shit, man. He's awesome. Uh, Adam Watson spotted you in Bastille Zombies. You always look like the look the part and blend right in the world of the movie. Thank you. Um, Peter England for next week's show. Favorite performance from a non-horror actor in a horror film. John Cassavetes, Rosemary's Baby. James Mason and Frankenstein, The True Story in Salem's Lot. William Holden and Damien Omen 2. Yalfit Koto and Harry Dean Stanton in Alien. Those are my two favorite of that movie. Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd in Twilight Zone the movie. James Gandolfini in Perdido. Perdita Durango. Great, great, great um, movies. <laughs> That scene in the Twilight Zone with Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd is one of the best. More, uh, it's it's stuck in my head where Dan Aykroyd's like, "That was his zone. That was his zone." Like when they're arguing about that was his zone or outer limits. This is beautiful. Tom Lee Rudder, Rupert Everett, and Della Morte, Della Moore, Al Blyton, Gregory Preck, The Omen. That's also a great one. I thought his like demanding performance as a father. I really believed he was a dad in that movie. Sam Edwards, Kurt Russell, The Thing, Deathproof, Bone Tomahawk. Hard to pick one of the three he's been in. Okay. Uh, Tony Collette, Hereditary. Steve McQueen, The Blob, Natalie Portman, and Mila Kunos, Black Swan. Agreed. Uh, Aaron Crothers, Sam Neill in Possession. And Jeff Thompson says, Anne in the Final Conflict. Kevin Michael Jones, also good in the Mouth of Madness, Event Horizon, Dead Common Omen 3. He's more of a Scream King than he would often gets credit for. Yeah. Brian Ziegler, George C. Scott, Firestarter. Troy Haworth, John Cassavetes, Rosemary's Baby. Telly Savalas, Lisa and the Devil. Donald Sutherland, Don't Look Now. Keith Gordon and Christine, Sissy Spacek and Carrie, uh, Alda Avali and Suspiria, Isabel uh, uh, Johnny in Possession, Mia Farrow and Rosemary's Baby, Roman Polanski and The Tenant. Man, uh, fucking Keith Gordon and Christine is so great when he grabs his dad's face. Um, Rich uh, Rabbit, James Kahn, Misery, Sherman Hurst, uh, Alan Alda and Mistempo, Mis- uh, uh, Mistifo. Uh, Why can't I say that word right now? Uh, Mephisto Waltz. There we go. I had to think of the, the Marvel character for a second. Uh, which Devil, obviously. Uh, Derek B., Tom Waits and Bram Stoker's Dracula, most underrated performance in the movie. Tom Brunner, Deborah Harry in Videodrome. Jeff Clark, Steve McQueen in The Blob. 
Barry O'Connell, Alan King, and Cat's Eye. Love him in that, especially when he's walking down the stairs doing the dance. Fucking hilarious. Jamal Potter, way too much to choose from. But I do remember when I saw John Cusack in 1408, I remember thinking he was an odd choice because this dude has pretty much never done horror. But afterwards, I was like, he should do more horror. Otherwise, Donald Sutherland, despite the fact he was in two horror movies, just because he's a legend. He's in a bunch. Fallen. Um, he's in, is he in Virus? Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Don't Look Now. Um, James Caan and Kathy Bates and Misery as well. Kyle Rabber, uh, Rayburn, John Lithgow in the Twilight Zone movie. Great performance. Rob Kopinski, Yelf and Kodo, Alien, and Leslie Nielsen Creepshow. I also got to give a shout out to Leslie Nielsen, Day of the Animals. Uh, Neil Machindo, that's, that was my put in. Um, he also says, also Ted Danson in Creepshow. Mike Merriman, Tire Cast to Alien. Uh, Ryan Matthew Ziegler, Jack Albertson, Dead and Buried. Great pick. Uh, Chuck Connors, Taurus Trap, another great pick. Nick Weaver, Tim Curry, and It. And we're coming to the home stretch here. Is there one more page? I think there is. Sherman Hurst, Ernest Borgnine and Devil's Reign. Sherman Hurst also says E.G. Marshall and Creepshow. Love him. It's just a fucking dinosaur. Can't find the last tar pit. Last dinosaur can't find the tar pit. I love that line. Kevin Keegan, Marilyn Chambers, and Rabbit. She's great in that. Michael Papa, Gregory Peck and the Omen, Jay Ranella, Jeff Goldblum and the Fly. Casey Robertson posts the clip from the simpsons of george c scott getting hit a man getting hit in football and the groin by football and david gibson recently i think tony clutt is the obvious choice but also the whole cast is silence of the lambs though some would wrongfully agree that that is not a horror film i believe it is a horror film and then the question of the week we're gonna go a truly great performance in a not so great movie so a performance that is amazing in a movie that you don't think is too great. And I don't want to be too negative. The movie Don't have to badmouth the movie too much. Just a movie that you think is is not the best movie ever. Just like one that, or, or the, the performance is so much better than the movie. Something like that. Okay, so let's hop into that update. Okay, a super quick update. First up, Sundown, The Vampire and Retreat, Anthony Hitchcock movie. Uh, Hitchcock, sorry. Um, really fun movie from, I think, 1990. Great cast, David Carradine, uh, Maxwell Caulfield, um, Bruce Campbell, and John Ireland. And then we got some other people like Buck Flower pops up in here. Um, Burt Remsen. It's just a really fun Monster Mash kind of deal. Um Maybe not a monster mash, cause, but I feel like there's a lot more going on than just vampires. It's just a bunch. Anthony Hitchcock's, um, Hitchcock's actually made my top 50 favorite horror directors. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I'm super happy to see that one get a release on Blu-ray. Next up is Frickin' the Borrower. Another one I'm super happy to see get a Blu-ray release from John McNaughton. It's my boy Tom Tolles on the cover, one of my favorite character actors of all time. Um, this is just a really crazy, fun movie from 1991. Good stuff. And on Blu-ray from Screen Factory. Uh, last up is a Warner Archive, uh, The Bermuda Depths. This is uh, live-action Rankin Bass, which is crazy. And I think it's got a pretty solid cast, if I'm not mistaken, in here. Um, yeah, I know that uh, Carl Weathers is in here. That's the name that brings up to me. But this is about a giant weird turtle. Um, definitely up my alley. So, yeah. And that's, like I said, a very quick update. Uh, so, let's hop back to the video. Alright, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Yeah.